James chapter 1. Um, if you would, go ahead and open up the Word of God. It's there in the New Testament. Uh, James, a half-brother of Jesus, is writing this. And we're going to just jump right back in uh, to verse 12 and following. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 12 and following. I tell you, anybody in here ever had any type of difficulty in your life? Would you just raise your hand? Anybody here claim to have the worst difficulty out of anybody else? Good. Difficulty is going to come even in this. I think God has a sense of humor. Let's put it like that. Even in the small things that can irritate you. Like it goes, like why did God, okay, here you go. You got male and female, right? The two shall become one. And yet the majority of women, what I, my wife is telling me, they're always cold. Men are always what? hot, right? We can't even get near each other because my, I think God laughs because I am a heater. Like I just generate so much heat. Melissa gets near me and she's like, oh, you're just so hot. I'm like, well, thank you. She's like, that's not what I mean and you know it. Go take an ice bath. I'm like, I can't help it. I, I think it's God just messing with us, saying even in the little things, how you respond, who you are matters, and we need to remember that because here's, even in the little things, what's the goal of a Christian? Here, it's very simple. You might want to write it down. The goal of the Christian, the goal of any disciple is to reflect Christ. That's it. Now, I'm, I'm oversimplifying for a reason, but the goal of a Christian is to reflect Christ. The goal of the church is to be an outpost of the kingdom of God. There it is, goal of a Christian, reflect Christ in everything that you're doing. And all your responses, no matter what it is, through all the trials, through all the temptations, through all the hardships, no matter what. And the goal of the church is to be an outpost of the kingdom of God. We know that that's what we are called to do. And often our greatest opportunity to reflect Christ is through adversity. It's through hardship. We understand that. Now... James talks a lot about temptation, about being tested. So I want to go back. I want to rewind a little bit in the Word of God for us today as we speak about it. And I want us to begin by visiting the tempting of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Very, very quickly, I'm going to hit this. All right? He's baptized, Matthew chapter 3. We've got genealogy, chapter 1. Uh, his, some of his birth story there as well. Going into chapter 2, here comes the baptism. All of a sudden, he's being tempted uh, by Satan in chapter 4 before he launches into his ministry. And this is what we see. Matthew chapter 4 says that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, listen to that, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by the devil, by Satan. Did God, by the Spirit, lead him out to temptation? No, but he led him to be tested. He led him out to be tested, and since he passed all of the tests, none of them were really temptations because they never led to sin. I, I, I want to go back even further. Genesis, first book of the Bible, right? And we start to learn more about being tested, and we start learning the difference between being tested and being tempted. Here comes Adam and Eve. Eve was tempted before she fell, and Jesus was tempted, right? But yet without sin. And one of the things that we learn is that temptation is disorienting. 
when you're being tempted, when you're being led astray, you're often disoriented and you can be confused. Often I think destruction dresses up like happiness, by the way. Can I say that? I, th- I think often destruction for the soul, for the spirit, dresses up like happiness. So what ends up taking place, that's what we end up seeing. But here's what takes place. All of a sudden, the serpent shows up in the garden, Adam and Eve. Hopefully you know the story. If not, go read it. Genesis chapter 3. Satan shows up right through the serpent in the garden and questions Eve about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Eve explains that she clear the way she even explains it, this is Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. She explains it in a way that she understood God's promise and God's warning about taking from this fruit, from this tree, right? But then here comes this moment of temptation, and the serpent replies, You will not surely die. She has expressed already, she understands God's commands, but here comes the serpent and says, no, you're not going to die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes are going to be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And in verses 4 and 6 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, and so when, when the woman saw, listen to that, when the woman saw, she saw something she had not seen before. And all of a sudden, she's looking at it, and there's delight in it in her eyes. And now she is desiring to have it. She was experiencing evil temptation. She was being told something very different about the tree from what God had told her. And so all of a sudden, this tree looked different to her, and she felt different about it. And that's what takes place in temptation so often. From the fall of man, from the fall of humanity, that's what has taken place. All of a sudden, we know what God has, has told us. We know what God has instructed to us. C.S. Lewis says it. That's why he went from being an atheist to this guy that we know about with, with mere Christianity and the Chronicles of Narnia and everything else. is Because he said, you know what? Everybody knows right from wrong. Inwardly, everybody knows that there has to be a God that instills that within you. And what takes place is we start listening to other voices, we start listening to other people, other things, and all of a sudden, when we look at them, they start to shift in our mind, well, it can't be that bad. They say God is a God of forgiveness and a God of grace. I mean, come on, is it really going to matter? Right, we, we do it, let's throw out some examples. We do it with lust or pornography, we do it with premarital sex, I mean, come on, it can't be that bad, right? I mean... God gave me this desire. Do you know how many things we've justified in life because we've said, well, God gave me this desire? We, we do it with finances. We do it with our resources. We, we do it with the way that we conduct business. Well, if I don't do this, even though I know it's unethical, I can't even stay in business, and I believe God wants me to stay in business. And so we struggle with testing we struggle with temptation. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Scribble that one down if you would real quick. And we know that those who love God, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There's the goal of a Christian. 
to reflect Christ, to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. There's your goal in life. Someone says, hey, what's your, what's your five-year plan look like Jesus? Just say that from now on. Because if you're a disciple, isn't that what you're supposed to be striving for? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn. Listen to that. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And you cannot be conformed. You're going, well, why has God tested us in? Why, do we, why did he start with Eve? Why did he even allow the serpent into the garden? Guys, you can't be conformed to the image of the Son of God without knowing hardship. Did he not endure hardship? Did he not endure difficulty and suffering? And so the qu- question for us is really how we choose to deal with temptation. And how we deal with temptation shows the genuineness of our faith. How we deal with temptation shows the depth of our faith, the genuineness of our faith, the authenticity of our faith. It shows who you really trust. That how you often walk through difficulty really shows who you believe God to be and what you believe God owes you. That's hard for us, isn't it? That's hard for us to sometimes process. But fact of the matter is, is that when we walk through hardship, when we walk through difficulty, it's often that 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 helps us to, to grow in strength and resilience in Christ. What would happen? Let's go back to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ knew hardship, right? And so what would have happened? He could have called on the angels. He could have called on help. Father, come, please. He doesn't do that. Instead, he says, what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, he went through agony. He went through pain. But he never asked to be delivered from that because he knew that he needed to walk through it. And so what if we begin to ask a different question rather than saying, Hey, God, will you please remove the hardship? What if, what if we began to trust that God can use the hardship for his glory? That's a hard place to get to, I think. But James is speaking to dear brothers and sisters. Remember that. This is the dispersion. This is the dispersion, right? These are the 12 tribes it speaks about. He says, James, a servant of God to the 12 tribes. He says that in verse 1 of chapter 1. And he's writing this, and he's calling out the fact that they're struggling. He knows they're hurting and they're struggling. We went through it several weeks ago. Back, go back and listen to the very first sermon on James. And you'll hear pretty much the entire message about the current situation that the believers are walking through. The Romans didn't like them. Many of the Jewish leaders certainly didn't like them. They were facing persecution and hardship on a continual basis. And now here comes James, and he writes this letter, act like it's to you. You can take a sheet of paper and write, dear, whatever your name is, get ready for a lot of hurt, but go reflect Jesus. 
And that's what he's done. Because what James does is he helps us learn that loving God, knowing God in a greater way, painting a a greater picture of God is one of the keys to enduring all the trials and the suffering and the hardship of life. But this, this is what he does in James chapter 1, verse 12. I want to read just these first several verses to you. It says this, James chapter 1, verse 12, you'll see it here for you as well. It says, blessed, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by, with evil. And he himself tempts no one. Difference in the testing and the temptation. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Genesis chapter 3, right? Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Does that remind you? Listen to this. Romans chapter 8. In order that he might be the firstborn among many believers. There's that firstborn and now it's calling out words like conceived. Once it has been conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. A lot of powerful language here. And what he does is he begins this section with the word Baruch in Hebrew. Or blessed. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. And so when we look at this, we start to understand. If, we're going, if we already know we're going to walk through hardship and temptation, which we've already acknowledged we've all had it in our life, God says that the way you walk through that can be something in which you are blessed by, that you are blessed for. Knowing that the goal of a believer is to reflect Christ. And so then, in the following verses, this is one way to think about it. For those who are walking through temptation or being tested, going through struggles and hardships of many kinds, he then lays out and says, hey, if you want to be blessed, I'm going to show you what a blessed person looks like. I'm going to give you some, some characteristics of someone that I want to bless, even though they may be walking through hardship. And so I want us to fill these out today. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly so that we can see what they are. And it's going to give you an opportunity to go, is that who I am in the midst of temptation, in the midst of struggling, in the midst of being tested, in the midst of difficulty? Is this who I am? Is that what it looks like? Because here again is James writing to all these people. They're suffering and struggling. It's very different to write to someone who is suffering and struggling versus someone who just has it all easy. And never any struggles at all. And in verse 12, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed is the one. This is another way of saying it. And I want you to just to fill these in. Blessed, okay, blessed is the one who keeps fighting. Blessed is the one who, I would call it spiritual grit. Blessed is the one who has spiritual grit. Blessed is the one who has spiritual fortitude. Blessed is the one who stands one's ground in Christ and will not stop. There are those people who they will fight and fight 
and fight, and they will not give up. They remain steadfast under trial. Remember, the, the trial that's being mentioned here, this isn't like, oh, things got a little hard today. It rained. This is true hardship. These people were being, some of them killed for their faith. And so here he comes, and he starts to use this almost like, um, I would call it the beatitude form that's common in Jewish literature. And he calls out blessed, the same words that, that Christ would have used in terms of more than happy, right? More than happy is the one who remains steadfast, who, who has spiritual grit in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulty. And he reminds them that, hey, listen, why? Because when you've stood the test, you're going to receive the crown of life. Remember the eternal. Remember what is coming. Remember the promises of God. He's not going to just give up on you. And it lets you keep running. Even when the world says to do one thing, it says, no, I'm going to stand firm in the word of God. And there are some of us who gave up on God's promise to always be with us. And we've given up on... The, the idea that we can truly persevere and reflect Christ at all times. And so we have compromised. Because we stood over here and we said, I'm going to get that wide spiritual stance, right, that we speak about here at CP. I'm going to get that wide spiritual stance, but I feel as though the world is, is pushing me over. And so to release some of that pressure, what I'm going to do is I'm going to compromise just a little bit. And you know in which area maybe you've compromised. And said, yeah, can, can, can it get a little bit easier though? He tells us, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. And in verse 13 he says, let no one say he is tempted when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Another way to look at it is, blessed is the one who accepts responsibility. Nobody wants consequences anymore, right? Just, just the other day, um, I had one of my children, um, I'm not going to call out names, but it was my youngest boy. Um, and and he, he went to his brother's room and took something from him. When he already had the same thing, but he didn't want to eat his right then, so he went and took someone else's. And he took it, and all of a sudden we walk in, and we go, where all that go? And everybody's saying they didn't do it, they didn't do it. And so then I set everybody down. And when I say everybody sit down, everybody goes, oh. Right, and so, of course, he finally fessed up to it after lying about it, and so he got in trouble. And he goes, and later on, I see him in 10 minutes, he's crying. I'm like, why are you crying? Because I got in trouble. I was like, do you think you should be in trouble? No. I said, if Carson would have done that, would you be in trouble, your oldest brother? And he says, yeah. I said, what if, what if Kate did that, took all your stuff without asking? Spank her. I said, oh, man, yeah, oh, man, yeah, live it up. How about if Ashley did it, kick her out? <laughs> of what? Her room. I'm like, okay, so, but you did it, though, right? He goes, yeah. Do you think you should be punished? No. sinners 
And as soon as you start to believe that you're never in that situation yourself, you've already been deceived. Blessed is the one who accepts responsibility, who just doesn't say, oh, it's hard, I'm blaming God now. He's the problem. God never says, hey, come to believe in me and my son, Jesus Christ, and I'm just going to make your life as cush as possible. He never says it. If you have been lied to, I am sorry, but he never says it. He says, come know me because for eternity I died for you, and so reflect me in the midst of every single situation you're in in life. That's what he says. That's what we need people to stand on. One of the reasons I think that we have lost our spiritual fight, our spiritual grit, is because we don't recognize the promise on which we stand. Because if we saw a greater picture of God, we would stand so firmly. World, bring what you have. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, we would fight until our death. I believe that. Are you fighting? Or do you just blame God? We need to accept responsibility because in this next verse it keeps going. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Don't blame others. Don't blame God. Blessed is the one who doesn't blame God. They accept responsibility. It doesn't tell us in this passage. It doesn't say blessed is the one who is tempted when, when God lures them and entices them in their own desire. It does not say that. It says when they, in their own sinful nature, that's what it's talking about, does it to themselves. That's no different. When you treat God that way, it's no different than my youngest child wanting their sibling, wanting for their sibling to be punished for something that they chose to do and they blame them. Well, they made me do it. God will never make you sin. So blessed is the one who, yes, keeps fighting. Blessed is the one who has that spiritual grit. Blessed is the one, in verse 13, who accepts responsibility and doesn't blame others. But in verse 14, blessed is the one who doesn't blame God. It's, it's, it's you, guys. It's the seduction of sin. When we, we're dragged away and we're enticed by our, it says, by our own evil desire. Verse 15. I'm supposed to go all the way through chapter 2. I have no idea how I'm going to do it. We'll get there. Then desire when it has conceived. Listen to this. Then desire when it has conceived, right? It's been born within, like it's there and, and you buy into it. It gives birth to sin. It's that conception. You have the seduction of sin, right? In verse 13, 14. And now all of a sudden in verse 15, what you see is the conception of sin. When desire is conceived. And when sin and sin, when, it, when it's fully grown, it brings forth death. It brings forth death. So blessed is the one who doesn't 
give in to self. They buy in to God. Verse 16, it says, and following, it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Verse 16, do not be deceived. Blessed is the one who isn't deceived. Blessed is the one who isn't deceived. Who's, who's led astray. Right? This even goes back earlier in this chapter. Right? Uh, talking about if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Like all this, you can jump back to the first seven, eight verses. When you're reading through 12, verses 12 through 18, I encourage you to go back and read verses, I'd really say two through eight. And go, oh man, there's so many similarities. He's kind of calling it out again. He's reminding us that we, we need to fight to not be deceived in our own lives. Which means, you know what, we need, we need some fences. Some of us leave us, we leave ourselves wide open to deception. We have no guardrails in our, in, our, in our lives whatsoever. One of the things that we're just now incorporating for our primary leadership here at CP is they are now being required um, to be on Covenant Eyes. Maybe you don't know what Covenant Eyes is, um, but it's a software in which we're about 10 or 11 bucks a month if you're just an individual, less than that if you're a group of people, where everybody, if you're a pastor or a director, one of the primary leaders here, you have to be on it. That means all of your tech, tech devices get reported back if you're seeing anything that you shouldn't be seeing. Why? Oh, you're taking away their freedom. No, I'm not. I'm helping them stay focused on Christ. Right? And so we're wanting to put guardrails for people so that, you know what, we know that the internet, we know that technology, right, it's proven, it's already proven. Instagram, Snapchat, all that stuff, we know it leads to depression, by the way. Facebook, we know that. It's proven through every kind of study there is. We already know that. So I'm going, we already know that they're going to be lured by temptation. What's the easiest way for someone to fall? Finances, lust, temptation, sexual stuff, sexual desire. So I'm going I'm to I'm eliminate both of those. They got to go on the covenant eyes and they're just not going to pay them. So they don't have that struggle. <laughs> I'm kidding. Because that would include me. And anybody who says, well, you can't do that to me. We want leaders here who go, you're going to hold me accountable to Scripture? I'm in. Like, uh, yeah, yes, please. I'm in. Because we're being deceived in so many different ways, and we're not putting those guardrails guard up. Those least receptive to accountability are the ones most easily received, deceived. Let me say that again. Those least receptive to accountability are the ones most easily deceived. Blessed is the one, verse 17. Blessed is the one who believes God is good. 
They know that everything is from Him. Here's what it says. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Hallelujah. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation. It means He doesn't change. He doesn't stop. It doesn't, it doesn't alter or shift. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Right there, just we should read verse 17. When we verse, read verse 17, if we truly believe it, all of a sudden the giddiness starts to come. It's like that first crisp fall day, like yesterday, the sun is shining and somebody brings you post family farm donuts. Praise God. Right? And you get excited because you go, you know what, God made those donuts. I'm convinced he made those donuts. But you recognize every good and perfect gift is from where? Every good and perfect gift is from where? And it, it wells up within you because you know. Here's the difference. That's why it's important to call it out. Because our our timidity in calling it out is, I believe, because we actually think we have something to do with it. And we don't. It is of God. Verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Uh, here's, blessed is the one who always represents God. Blessed is the one who relies on truth. And doesn't start buying into the world and saying, yeah, but this is going to make you happy. We know. We know we're being deceived, guys. Here's what it is. It happens all the time. The person who wants a certain amount of money, when they get there, they go, okay, I need that much more. We know that. It's the same with sexual temptation and desire as well. It's the same with so many different things that we have in life. We get one thing, if I could just have this. And then we go, if I could just have a nicer version of this. Anybody ever done that before? Is it wrong to have nice things? No, I believe pursuing excellence, right? But make sure you're pursuing it for Christ. And I struggle with it too. It's one of those things, like, it, it just starts to happen. My first car, I just wanted anything that started. That was the goal. And that's what I got. It didn't go out. It did not, the reverse did not work. Literally, I would back it up. I'd drive it to school. Like, I'd push it back out of my driveway. We got that fixed after two weeks. It was a beautiful day. And then I started dreaming about having a car that the horn worked properly in. I just wanted more. And, but it kept going, right? Because the thing right after Post Family Farm Donuts is the smell of a new car. Right now, I know I make light of it, but it, guys, we don't recognize how much we're chasing self. We need to rely not on all those things that are artificial. We need to rely on truth. Listen to the right voice. Absorb who we are to be in Christ. And it's God who gives the power to overcome temptation. I want to call it, the praise team is going to come back out. But I, I want to give you three things because it hit me early, early, early this morning. I want to give you three things. And I know I've given you lots of ways in which God 
there's really painting characteristics that we need to be. But I want to give you three things to help you deal with temptation. Three things real quick. One, please, please, please recognize the temptations in your life. Just recognize them. Know what they are. Please, I'm asking, if you've not written anything else down, write this down. Do this, whatever you got to do. Recognize the temptation in your life. By the way, the more you know scripture, the better, you, better armed you are in being able to recognize that temptation. That's why we say get in the word, get in the word, get in the word, get in the word. Because the, the better you know scripture, the better armed you are to know those temptations. You identify them so much easier. So recognize it. That's the first thing I want you to be able to do is recognize the temptation. The other thing is I want you to resist. So recognize and resist. Don't worry, these aren't going to be three R's, so just write. Recognize it and then resist the temptation. That's what this is saying. Fight. Have spiritual fortitude. Fight. And then another way to deal with this temptation in your life is to call on God. So recognize it, resist it, and then call on God. And I would say also with the call on God, call on a friend. That's why we need brothers and sisters in Christ going, no, you can fight this. I know the world is saying this, but God has better plans in store for you. He has greater things in store for you. Resist it. That's a lie. You know that you just have to keep biting that over and over. You have to keep eating that to make that happiness stay. You know that. Don't buy into it. And you're willing to do that because you know that every good and perfect gift is from above. I don't know what everybody in this place is walking through. There's too many of you, and it doesn't matter how many hours I would spend, I can't speak to all of you. But I know that our prayer probably, <laughs> I know our prayer needs to change. From God, take away every difficulty. To God, allow every difficulty to bring you glory. My first Sunday here, it's a long time ago. A lot of you weren't here. And here's what happened. Um, I'm looking at my friend John and Jackie Van Dyke. We got tagged with, graf with graffiti, sat uh, satanic symbols all over our far wall and all over the asphalt in the parking lot. My first Sunday. What a way to start, right? And so in the service that morning, what we did is I just had everybody start clapping and giving praise to God. Because you can tag the building. All right, you can spray the concrete or the asphalt with whatever symbol you want. But I know that the God we serve is greater. The hard's going to come, so here's my attitude. Bring what you have, because I know that every good and perfect gift is from above, and he's got my back. He's got you. Reflect him, and may you be blessed by it.